you guys get a very full Sunday today. I love the fifth Sunday. It's an it's a awesome time. We have, of course, a fellowship meal, baptism service. It's going to be awesome today. But also, it's our fifth Sunday. We talk about our missions, and we take up a special offering at, uh, to support the many missions uh, that our church gets to partner with, our missionaries. Uh, we have local missionaries, regional missionaries, and, of course, there's the international missionaries that we love to support. And uh, this morning, uh, before we take that, we actually have a special guest that is with us, uh, Aaron, uh, Eric Battinger, yes, I'm practicing, uh, who is the operations director at Camp Como, which is a uh, Christian camp that's located in Como, Colorado, and uh, do remarkable work. A lot of people, uh, especially young people, coming to faith at camp and finding their call into ministry, and, uh, but also just connecting with the Lord, and they do all kinds of other camps. So instead of me talking about that, we invited Eric to come and to share a little bit about the camp, and so you could see some of the work that we get to support. So, Eric? Good morning, everybody. Hey, thank you for letting us come. My wife, Dawn, is right over here in the front row with our granddaughter, Hazel, and uh, we've been involved in the camp for a long time. Estes Park here, the church has been involved in the camp as well for a long, long time. We go uh, way back. It's been a while since I've been here. I want to thank Aaron and the team for inviting us up uh, just to talk about the camp a little bit. But we have a little bit of a connection with the church here. Remember a guy named Scott Weber? Anybody remember old Scott? Um, he was my wife's brother's roommate in college uh, a long time ago. So um, that's our connection here. But uh, we've had campers come through and folks come through at the, at the camp. How many of you guys have been to Camp Como? Raise your hand. One, two, two, two folks. Okay, we're going to change that. Um, you're welcome to come anytime, especially... Um, just coming up in a couple weeks on May 13th, it's a Saturday, we're having a prayer for the upcoming camp season. Um, I gotta, uh, I'm going to ask Aaron if I can put something on a bulletin board or something somewhere to remind you. But um, you can come to the camp property, uh, probably a couple hours from here, I think. So it's quite a, quite a drive. It would take a couple hours to get to Como from here. Um, but if not, if you're going to be home in that day, please keep the camp in mind just for the upcoming season. We're praying for the campers, the parents, the faculty, the staff. Uh, everything that needs to happen between now and then, uh, when camp season starts, we still have some um, some holes to fill, like speakers and some bands. Jesse, if you want to, wherever he went, uh, uh, talk to me afterwards. We have uh, we have some needs that we have to finish up before we're quite ready for the camp season. I got 21 college age kids coming in to work for the summer. Pray for them, and then all that works out well. So just a big prayer day on May 13th. Let me give you just a little update of what's been happening facility wise. Uh, at camp. Uh, we've been doing some remodeling. We have remodeled um, many of the cabins. Uh, we, I think we have two or three left. We're going to finish up a couple of them this year. By the end of the year, we have some work teams coming in. And by remodeling, I mean gutting the whole thing. It's been years and years since any remodeling has been done. So they get a new floor, the, that uh, vinyl flooring that uh, is so popular today. We put those in. We put new bunks in. And uh, Aspen siding, tongue and groove siding all the way through over the ceiling and, and down the wall. So it looks really sharp. We have had, we've been had an ongoing project of putting bathrooms on the girls' side. Some, for some reason, the ladies don't like to get up and walk to the bathrooms from their cabins. And so we've been putting bathrooms on some of the ladies' cabins. We've got two of them completed. We hope to finish two more. So we'll have four cabins by the end of the year. Uh, with bathrooms on them that we can use not just for the ladies but for winter retreats and so forth and things like that that uh, it's right there on the cabins and so just a lot of cleanup a lot of general um, and one of the most exciting things for the campers is we're putting in a high ropes course um, and so that's that's a lot of fun uh, and that's just elements way up like 50 feet in the air um, that the kids get to do and I think there'll be seven elements on that that they climb up they're hooked into a carabiner and all that and the belay system and uh, that's going to be a lot of fun matter of fact uh, 
they might be working on that that this weekend while I'm gone. So, but definitely we'll have that by the summer. So those are just some of the things that are going on. But really what's important at Camp Como is what Aaron already mentioned is the campers coming. And uh, we pray every season uh, for kids, number one, to come to Christ. Um, all the way from elementary age, we start in fourth grade through high school. Uh, we even have some college kids coming this year. Um, but uh, a lot of them come, and they don't know Jesus. And they may have grown up in the church and don't know Jesus, or they may be visiting with somebody, don't go to church, uh, and don't know Jesus. And uh, so we pray for that, and we do. We have decisions every year. We want to pray for as many as possible. And then we also, um, it, a camp seems to be a place where kids make a decision to do something ministry-wise, to go into the mission field, to go into full-time ministry, uh, to recommit their life. Uh, to the Lord in a more deeper and significant way. So um, pray for that uh, as well, uh, that, that that's, that's really our mission. In our, in our uh, environment that we have down there, we have a beautiful place. It's a beautiful um, setting right there in South Park, Colorado. I know some of you guys have been to Fair Play around there. We're just 12 miles from Fair Play. Um, it's a beautiful place. We'd love to come uh, and have you uh, visit with us and see the camp. I don't know um, uh, how many campers there might be interested in going this year. We have lots of slots open, so please talk to me afterwards. I'll be in the back. There's a little stand up there. i got some goodies to give you, some stickers and such, so please stop by uh, and grab that. Ask me any questions that you have about the camp. I uh, would love to entertain those, and uh, thank you for your support as a church, and for those of you who support individually, we appreciate it very much. Uh, and we got God's got great great plans for this summer. I'm I'm really excited. So thank you again. Very good, Eric. Thank you so much for coming up and for the work that you do. And uh, it's uh, hard to overstate the power of and the importance of Christian camping. We, you know, we live in a beautiful place. People come from all over the world to Estes Park. We, we take it for granted, right? But there is something amazing by taking uh, opportunity to give people a chance to see the nature and then point them to the god of nature and to take especially young people that opportunity to go away so uh come out and to hear uh, the the gospel and to be loved so we want to do is we want to pray for you of course uh, and if this upcoming season since we're all here right now uh we'll do that and then uh we'll, we'll talk about how we other support you so father god we thank you so much for eric we thank you for the the staff at camp como lord that you have called each one of them there for ministry this year for the college-age students for the staff members for the for the cooks and for all those that are helping to re uh, to renovate the, the rooms and to make them ready. Father, we ask that you would empower their hands, that you would give them efficiency and effectiveness to work with excellence, Lord. I pray this summer that you would fill their lips and their lives with the gospel, that it can be seen and heard and understood, that you would open hearts and lives uh, with, from the campers that arrive there uh, this summer, that there would be many decisions to follow you, uh, whether for the first time as you're uh, coming to life and being born again, or to follow you in, in a more sig significant way even after that, as to, to offer their lives as uh, living sacrifices, as uh, daily uh, walks of uh, a personal devotion and discipleship. Lord, I pray that you would do amazing things, miraculous things this year at Camp Como. Father, I pray for us as our church, as we support them, Lord, uh, maybe not just send money, but also uh, give us a heart for the camp and the campers, Lord, that, uh, that our support would be a true fellowship and, and, and brotherhood as we uh, get to support others uh, and to partner with this amazing ministry. We pray all of this in the beautiful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, thank, thank you. Well, as you know, that Camp Como is one of the, the ministries that we support. There are, are lots of them. There's a missions board that's right on the other side of this wall. It's got a big old cork part of the world, so you can see the areas of the world that we support. And every month, as we get an update from Camp Como and a letter, we post it out there, and we try to also put that into our weekly update that we email 
to you. If you don't have the weekly update, you can just write on your connection card, weekly update, make sure that we have your email address, and you'll get those updates as well. Because they tell us not just what's happening at Camp Como, but also then how we can partner with them and support uh, with our prayers and, and, and other things. Well, something else that we want to do is uh, we also like to support them financially because it's nice to actually have a physical place and food and things like this. So our uh, missions is budget is run separately than our general budget. And we do that uh, because it's an expression of our faith. And, and so what we do is we start uh, at, uh, I think it um, May and is it June, June 1st, and we start saving for an entire year. And whatever we've saved up that entire year, that's the amount that we have that next June that we are able to distribute to the missionaries that we uh, are support. And so right now we are raising funds for our next year. And every fifth Sunday we take a special offering to kind of contribute towards that. Um, I think uh, from where we are to where we, if we want to be where we were next year, I think it was like a $7,000 something. Uh, so in the next few months, if we could add, then we can support our missions at the same level. If we go more than that, then yay, then we get to give them a raise. And that's obviously a wonderful thing. Um, so today we're going to be taking a special fifth Sunday offering. It doesn't go to our general budget. This is not your normal tithes. This is a special offering. But if you'd like to participate in that, let me show you how to do it. It's super easy because we're good. Uh, Simplest way is in your connect on your envelope, and if you have one of these on your seat front pocket as well, and on the inside of it is a place that you can mark down uh, your tithes and offerings if you want to write one check or whatever, um, and then you could put towards missions. But the other line is also for Fifth Sunday, so missions would be fine, and this uh, put that in there, and 100% of those dollars go, well, 100% of them go to our missionaries that we support. We don't. Uh, keep any of that. And so this put that into the offering basket is passed. If you like electronic giving, like me, you can go to our website, essexpark.church, or use our church app, and of course you can give that way. Just make sure you select Fifth Sunday or Missions as the, as the fund, and we'll make sure that we get those funds distributed. So, all right, that's that. All right, so uh, let's talk about one of the reasons that we do missions, and that's because God sent us on a missionary journey, didn't he? Uh, uh, when Jesus came to his disciples after he was raised from the dead, he uh, was with them for for quite a while. Part of that time, he met the disciples up in Galilee. Took them up on a after a great breakfast. Took them up outside of a mountain, and uh, said to the disciples, "He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And be sure of this: I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age." Now, this is what God told his disciples to do, and we are disciples of Jesus, so that's our missions too. And you notice that Jesus begins this, and he says. The reason he commands us to do that because he has the right to command us to do that. Because he's in charge. All authority in heaven and on earth, which kind of covers it all. Because I've never been any other place than on earth. But even when I get to heaven, he's still the boss of it. A and so today we're going to talk about that sovereignty that he has, right? Being in charge, why that's such a big deal. And it really um, uh, became uh, punctuated for me this week. You know how I don't go watch the news because it makes me a nasty person and I get depressed? <laughs> Well, this, this week I got invited to uh, talk with one of our community members uh, and uh, invited me over to his house, was going through something, and, and I went in and had a news channel, the TV was on, uh, which was the beginning of the problem, and uh, was news, like one of those news channels, and I hadn't seen the news in a very long time, and, and he s as we were talking, he said, you know, this world is just out of control. Do you ever feel that way? Like it's just out of control, like things that happen, you just feel like it's chaotic, and it's people that makes us feel um, unsettled, and it makes us feel, uh, uh, I think that's the insecurity comes out, uh, we like to be in control, in fact, most of us, if you're like me, I'm a little bit of a control freak, 
I, I like to have things done my way, right? That's, if I know that things are going to happen, they're predictable or whatever, but there's the reality is, is that most of life is not under my control. There's a reason we say it's out of control. I mean, just simple things like the weather, right? This year has been insane. Like You're like, who's in charge of all of this? It's just, it's happy, it's sad, it's snowy, it's warm, I, it's crazy. Tragedy, when tragedy comes into our lives, right? Things that we didn't even ask for, all of a sudden something horrible hits and you, you didn't see it coming and we're like, well, how did this happen? Sometimes in spite of our best efforts, difficulties come. Or, or even our health, right? I, I just, like This last year, so many people in our community, have, in our church really, have been just sick over and over and over, doing all the right things, like drinking the echinacea tea, right? Doing all that kind of lousy stuff, the vitamin C supplements, all of it, and still sick. You're like, why? I'm doing all the right stuff. Well, we can't control a lot of those things. And many things that, that in this world we can't control, it, it makes us feel insecure because we know we really can't count on stuff that sometimes we pretend we can count on. Things like the economy, right? You think it's going to be one way and then, well, there's not. Or how about justice? Has there ever been perfect justice in this world? Or how about uh, other people? Right, we can't control them, and sometimes the people that we think we're going to depend upon the most when we need them the most are poof, gone. And the result is that I think we have live in a state of fear and anxiety. What is the, like, we live in a nation and a world right now where uh, I think we're getting pretty close to a, a, a majority of people, of Americans, that are on antidepressants, an anxiety, anti-anxiety things. That's, that's a huge number. Why are we such an anxious people? Because the world seems out of control. But I have some good news for us today, is that we're not in control, but God is. A and there is some peace in the midst of that. And even in the midst of the chaos, even in the midst, in fact, we remember that the very beginning of time when, when there was just chaos covered everything, that God brought order when there was absolute chaos, and he's still in charge today. So I would go back to our, our anchor verse for the series, <coughs> Psalm 3124. I really hope by this point this is something that's been tattooed to your heart and your mind because it is so important. This is an anchor for us. But it's the be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Our hope is in ourselves. I'm not in control, but God is. And that's where our strength, that's where our confidence comes in. So before I get to the message, just say it with me. Here we go. Three, two, one. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Psalm 31, 24. To help set that in your heart, on your connection card, there is a perforated uh, memory verse card. Please take that and remind yourself of this. So when the chaos kicks in, you can remind yourself there's a God who rises above it because this world is bigger than we are it's more broken we can fix but if we put our hope in the lord that's where we find our strength and we do that of course because god is in control we talk about that all the time don't we and i think uh, we intellectually uh, accept that but emotionally and and practically a lot of times we question that in the midst of the chaos when all we see is the raging storms when when life has been difficult and doesn't look like it's getting any better in fact it looks like it may be going the, the wrong direction in spite of our best efforts bad things still happen sometimes i think how we live is kind of like maybe god's not fully in control and we go into panic mode but we believe and we understand god is in control let's start with the mind so that we can put it into our action for for the, his very nature who god is how he's revealed himself our god is sovereign he's got ultimate authority in heaven and earth 
partly because of his character. He has the ability to have control. Theologically, we say that the God is omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, right? Fancy words. Omnipotent means he has all power. God can do anything. There is nothing that God cannot do. And when Jesus came to earth, he kind of proved that was possible because he did the impossible, right? Uh, from making stuff out of nothing, like the multiplication of loaves and fishes, right? He can make stuff when there is not stuff, so he can... He can override natural, that's pretty amazing. He can override death in other people and in himself, which I find really impressive, right? He can calm storms, which is saying a word. He's over the top of nature, right? He commands even the demons and the angels. They all have to submit to him. He had an entire legion of, of demons inhabiting one man and surrendered without even fighting. It wasn't even hard for Jesus. The, the, the demoniac just ran up to Jesus and said, we know who you are. And he says, who are you? We're legion because we're many. He's like, get into those pigs, right? Then you have to have a fight. But he is sovereign and powerful. He can do anything. He can speak stars and galaxies into existence. And he can also raise people from the dead, even spiritually. He can help us be reborn. He can do anything. God is able to do all things. Nothing is impossible for God. Not only that, he's omniscient. It, it, there is one thing about being all-powerful, but if you're an idiot, that's scary, right? The fact that God knows what to do helps. When we say, um, you know, he's omniscient, it means he knows everything that could possibly be known, and he knows all the contingencies that, that could of all those decisions that could ever be known. There's nothing that God... Uh, that could be known that God doesn't already know. It's not just that he foresees the future, he sees the future as though it is already present, right? It says before the beginning of time, Christ was already crucified. He sees it, the end before the beginning. He doesn't just predict it, he's there. It blows my mind. And, and how do I understand God? If somebody said to me, Aaron, are you a Calvinist or Arminian? I said, and I'm just a Christian. Like, like John Calvin and Joseph Arminian. They're just Christians. We're trying to wrap our brain around this massive God. And I will tell you with quite honesty, I don't understand God. But I do accept how he's revealed himself. And he knows all things. And it blows my mind. And I don't think there is any human who could fully grasp his wisdom, his brilliance. It means this, that when God tells you to do something, it's the best possible way. It's not just because God thinks it might be the best possible way. He sees from, from knowledge, from, from full understanding, this is the best decision. Which means that when we follow God, we are absolutely 100% of the time being read and led in the right direction. Everything he knows. And you're not going to trick him. If you wanted to play chess with God, good luck. So th th he's... The devil's not going to outsmart him. You're not going to outsmart him. All of the corruption in this world is not going to outsmart him. He knows all things, sees all things. And how can he see all things? Because he's omnipresent. He is present everywhere at all times. And not just physically present, but he is, he is uh, consciously present. He knows every little cell in your body what it's doing. He's consciously aware of it. All the little quarks and, and neutrons, the furthest star in the universe, as it's having its chemical reaction, our God is presently aware of those very same things. He's also aware it's happening in, in the emotions and the places of our heart, our decisions. He knows where we're at. He knows our fears even before we have them. It says in Scripture when we pray to him, we don't have to like dance around the issue. He already knows what we're going to ask before we even ask it. He just likes us to ask. Like our God, he's, he's presently aware in all spaces. Now, the amazing thing is he's not just around us, but as Christians, he's also within us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. So this God has the ability to be all places at all time. And you think about 
when someone has control, it's usually when they're there. So like as a parent, I fully understand this, that my authority kind of gets a little dimmer when I leave the house because Thomas, if I'm gone far enough away, might think that he could get away with stuff because I'm not there to enforce it, even though I'm very t- smart and I have a lot of power. But to be present changes things, right? And God's authority is at all times and all spaces because he is present, he knows everything, and he has the ability to do anything. So he's in control. First Chron- Chronicles 29 speaks to this. It says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. And why? For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. It's not just in one place in Scripture from Old Testament like this all the way to the New Testament. We see God's sovereignty on display more than we could comprehend as humans. See, God is the absolute authority in life. He is the ultimate ruler. He is in charge and he is in control. And, and what is he in control of? Well, I'm just going to give a couple of things that matter to us. And the first one is the control of this creation because we're part of this creation and that matters because I live in this creation and all of my, my needs and my problems really are felt in this creation. So it's good to know that my God is in control of this creation. He created this world and all that's in it. He sustains the word of this world by the power of his word. It says, Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed by God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Right at the beginning, we recognize that God can make stuff out of nothing, which is something that nature can't do. And nature certainly can't explain nature, but God sure does. And he's in control of it, and he's in command of it, just like he was at the very beginning. And so... At the very beginning, we recognize that God brought universal order out of absolute chaos. It's, does your world sometimes feel like absolute chaos? Do you know you have a God whose very nature is to bring order out of that, and he's already in control of it? That helps. See, in our God, we see in history, he commands nature. Think about the ten plagues, right? We just did that study in our Sunday school, a really great study of the ten plagues. That, like, they did all kinds of crazy things, like turning water into blood and stuff like that and having fiery, you know, you have the, the hailstorms and all that stuff, ultimate darkness in the middle of the day. God could command anything. Or think about Jonah. Remember that wonderful story of this prophet who's like, I don't want to help those Ninevites. They're awful people. And then tries to sail the other direction and God causes a storm until eventually they th- the, the ship guys, they throw them into the water. And then what is God had a fish. God can command a fish, a big one, to swallow them up. And then drove him back to the shore where he could, you know, be, you know, put onto the shore. Like, that's a lot of sovereignty. Right? Jesus walks on water. He could command even, like, the, the natural order and the physical laws. Just walks on it. See, God is in control of creation. And I don't know what our needs are, what your needs are today. Some of us, you've shared, and I can know this, that whatever it is, it's probably, it's, a lot of times it's bigger than us, but it's not bigger than him. And so there's not a physical enemy. There's not a physical brokenness. There's not something so awful in this world that God somehow can't fix it or doesn't know how to fix it. He can. And that matters for us. We'll get in a little while because you think, well, I still have problems in this world, so now what? But let's go to the next thing. That God isn't just in control of of creation. He's in control of history, right? In fact, history really is his story. That God has, before the beginning of time, he already designed that Jesus was going to be there. In fact, it says that he knew you before the dawn of time. Now think about how miraculous that is. Because like, just me to exist two generations ago would have been impossible. Why? 
because a couple generations ago, my dad's parents lived in New York, and my mom's parents lived in Illinois. And I don't know about you guys, but that's kind of a far apart from each other. And they wouldn't have liked each other. The families wouldn't have gotten along, because even after they got married, they were kind of like, eh, right? How on earth does Aaron exist? Well, there was a lot of tragedy that happened in both of their families and some uh, bold moves, and eventually it led them to Estes Park, Colorado, where my dad met my mom. And eventually they got married, and then the miracle of Aaron Dorman came about. Yes, I am a miracle. <laughs> you see how phenomenal that God knew my name before the dawn of time, but the stuff that had to happen? I mean, there was all kinds of things from political disorder, from natural issues that were happening with what was going on with the, the weather at the time and the farming conditions. There were things happening with wars and all that other stuff that had to take place in order for me to be able to show up and to exist. And yet God knew it was going to happen. You see, God is not just the God of the, of the big swaths of, of history. He's also, he's also the God of the details of history that makes those swaths happen. So there's you're part of, uh, of a grand design. The world looks chaotic, but it is not in chaos. God is in control. Th there is a grand design, a grand purpose, and there's a grand plan in the midst of history, and God designed us to be a part of that. And that means that God's not just in control of history, but he's also in control of our lives. Whatever happens in our lives, God can and will use it for his eternal good. And that's even true for the pagan. Right? God uses all things and works them together for his purposes. Now, we also get a, a little benefit from that if we're one of his disciples. Then it also works out for our benefit as well. But you recognize that, that your life was designed by God, and if you're his disciple, it was your life has been curated for your sanctification. See, you're different than me, right? And you're like, praise God, I'm different than Aaron, right? That was some good news for you today, because you are. Which means that you have a different path to sanctification than I have. You need different things. God shaped you just a little different. And he's working on you uniquely, wonderfully, crafting you as his, as his masterpiece. And there's going to be different joys in your life and different pains in your life. Things that I don't experience because my life has been curated for my sanctification. But I still have the same masterful hand that's carving me. He's also working on your life as well. So I can't predict tomorrow. And I'm glad for that, because how boring would it be for us if we could procrastinate and just, you know, you know I would procrastinate, but I'd put things off if I knew it. But, but I do know who holds tomorrow. I, can't, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know who holds me in the midst of it. I know that the same God who was there at present in creation is the God who was there with Christ, the God who was there at the day of my baptism is the same God who's at work in my life today. And he's never going to leave me, and he's never going to forsake me. Now, so God is in control of, of all things in this world. Everything is created in heaven and earth. He's, he's in control of, of not just creation. He, he is in control of the history of how things happen in that creation. And he's in control of, the, of my life. I'm so grateful that my life is part of his plan. And I'm going to talk about a couple of reasons why that's good news. And, and the first one is that God has a plan for my life. 
That's what that means. And he has a plan for your life too. You matter. And I want you to hear this because the enemy tries to teach us this horrible lie that you are just some cosmic stardust. Or God doesn't care about you. He only cares about super saints, right? That you really don't matter. Or whatever you do in your life isn't important. Baloney. God has crafted you for purpose to bring about not just good things in your life, but a bigger picture of his glory. He's doing something amazing, and you're part of it. And he, he, has, a, he has a design for you. What you're going through now is not by mistake. It's not by error. God doesn't cause our troubles, but he certainly allows them because he's going to use them to shape us. And I want you to understand this, too, that God's plan for your life isn't just just his plan to destroy you. The people of Israel were kind of naughty at times. If you read the Old Testament, they had times that they were really good, and there were times that they were getting pretty naughty. And, And it's one of those times in history where they were getting pretty naughty, Like, really naughty. Like, they were worshiping not just other gods, but they were sacrificing their children and and to these other gods. Their their little babies. It just blows my mind how you would get to that hardened space. And yet, I think in a nation culture, we're kind of there. But they would do that. They would just sacrifice their children. And they would would, uh, do all these other things. And they would... Uh, they were prostituting their hearts to false religion. They were saying, we're God's people, and they're not acting that way at all, and all this. And so God says, well, it's time for a timeout. And so he sends his prophet Jeremiah to them and says, though, this is what's going to happen, is that I'm going to send the Babylonians down, and they're pretty rough, and they're going to take you to uh, a 70-year timeout. And it's going to be really bad, because you're going to see your temple destroyed, you're going to see instruments and all that kind of stuff. You're, you're gonna, all the things you thought you could count is going to seem chaotic, right? But then, after he tells them it's going to get kind of rough, God has the prophet deliver this message to the people. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And to know that this God is the same God who is our Father as well. That when discipline comes into our life and difficulties come into our life, it's not to destroy us. It's not to, to, uh, to throw out every good thing that God is doing, but God has a plan for our life. And at times, we have to endure difficulty uh, in order for, for us to maybe come back to learn, to grow. And what happened after this? 70 years, the, the God was, was telling the truth. The people came back from their captivity in Babylon. They got a, a temple again. It wasn't as fancy, but the same God was there. But the heart of the people had changed significantly. It was after that time out, but all of a sudden, the people said, we should really take our faith more seriously about this. It's really where the Pharisees really came about. And a lot of times we think about the Pharisees as these bad, awful people, but really where they started out was, hey, God is real, and it matters how we live. Let's be faithful to him. Now, they, they went over the top, but, but God still used it. That There was a change in the heart of the, of the people, and that carried them through even when the Greeks took over, and finally as they kicked the Greeks out with the Maccabees throughout history, it was this experience of being set apart in Babylon, not only did it carry them through that time, but for the last 2,000 years as they were uh, being cast, cast out of their land and they didn't have a space, there was always a hope because God had a promise that he would bring them back to the land, and he did. God keeps his word. He has a plan for us and is not to destroy you. And I want you to hear that because sometimes we have to go through really difficult things, seemingly devastating things. But God's plan for you is not to destroy you. He is shaping you. He's doing good work. And so many of us then, we make our plans as though God isn't truly in control 
our world feels chaotic and we're like, God, you're not doing this for me because I have this health problem, this relationship problem, this financial problem. I'm doing all the right things. I'm walking your way and now I have troubles. And so now I go into panic mode and I try to survive on my own. I'm like a deer who jumps right in front of the car, right? Because that's what happens when we go into panic mode. But in reality, in the midst of the pain, it thinks, we recognize that God is at work doing something in me. And the best thing is to do is to say, God, what do you want for my life? It's not as though I don't make plans, but the first thing I need to do is to ask God, what is it that you're trying to do? What do you want me to do? And if we set our heart and our plans on this, God's going to redirect us sometimes. I mean, have you ever had your plans hijacked by God? Yeah. But I will tell you this, when we get to the other side, we're going to say it was worth it. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans of the person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And when I was younger, that irritated me so much because you know me i'm a planner i plan our sermons out a year in advance right i like to know how things are going to happen and so i would felt like god is always thwarting me he's not thwarting me what i find is it's comforting that i'm not going to mess up god's purposes he's got good things ahead of me he's designed me and called me for sanctification he's doing amazing stuff and i'm not going to mess it up i'm just called to be faithful that's it so we make our plans, but God has the last word. And so we, we want to follow him. And that's, if we do that, and we know that God has a purpose for our lives, and he is control of it, right, that he's, that he's guiding it, and yes, we have our portion of it, we, we get to make our decisions, we have this free will, we, we follow him, and we get to obey him, but we're not going to mess up his plans. We're not going to somehow mess it all up, this great thing that God designed, that he's at work. Then I recognize this, that God gives purpose to my problems. This gives me great hope because I'm glad that God, even in this world that seems chaotic, that he's not going to allow me to suffer anything that doesn't actually have a beneficial effect in my life. See, God doesn't cause my problems, but he's not surprised by them either, right? He knows that they're going to come in beforehand, and so he shields me from the ones that aren't helpful. And the ones that do arrive in my life, he uses them for good. That's what Romans 8, 28 is talking about. It says, for we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. We've been called according to his purposes. God works all things together for his good. But the amazing thing is when he calls us and we're, we call him our Lord and we give our lives to him and we're part of his life, we love him. The only thing that's going to affect me in my life are the things that are actually shaping me in righteousness. Everything that we experience now as a Christian is crafted for our good as well as for his glory. And that's all part of God's plan. That's, that's really what the next verse says. This is Romans 8.28, 8.29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. This is a theologically deep passage, but let's just look at what it says here about us. It says that, that you are foreknown by God, you are predestined by God, you are called by God to be justified and glorified. And in his mind, those are done deals. God was never worried about you. He's had you all along. And the God who foreknew you and predestined you and called you and justified you and glorified you, do you think he's going to drop you? Now, this messes with a lot of my theology. This, this is a really inconvenient passage for me because I have a lot of stake in free will. I know that God has us to have choice, but I also have a lot of, I, I, don't, I can't explain God. He's, he's triune. He's three and he's one. How, how? I don't know. He's not three and not three. He's three and one. He's sovereign and yet I have free will. I, it's not like he's sovereign and not sovereign. 
It's not that I have free will and not free will. He's sovereign and I have my free will. I don't understand, but I get this, that this is true, that God somehow, he foreknew me before the time and he also predestined me. And you as well. If you're his child, he's called you. He's justified you. You're not guilty before him. And get this, sanctified. You know what that means? He's making you a saint. I look at Aaron, and sometimes I'm like, not so saintly, Aaron. Typically when I'm driving or at the grocery store. Those are my biggest areas of sin. <laughs> right? You know that. But, but he's sanctifying me. There's a day coming where from thoroughly, thoroughly all the way through, I will be like Christ, and I'm not going to have any darkness with me whatsoever. But here's a crazy part. Glorified too? I don't deserve to be glorified. And you're all like, amen, right? And I know a lot of you, some of us really just shouldn't be glorified, and yet that has nothing to do with us. It has to do with God's goodwill. That his purpose in our lives is not just to save us, but to bring us up, that we were, we were outsiders, we were beggars, and now we're royalty. So what do you do wh- wh- when your troubles uh, happen in your life? Well, I remember this, First Peter, uh, the apostle writes this, he says, and you know, in all this, you greatly rejoice. He's talking about our salvation. Heaven awaits. Glorification awaits. He says, in all that, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And Peter knew all about those all kinds of grief. He had uh, all kinds of persecutions and difficulties. He had, his own wife was, was killed as, as a disciple of Jesus, right? He had, when she was being taken away to her execution, he just said, remember the Lord Jesus. This is not a guy who had light things happen in his life. And he says, though now you're going to have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, injustice, poverty, difficulty, right? He says, why do you have to happen? He is Peter. He's the guy, that, he's a, a man of, of, of great faith, the, the, a leader of the early church. Why should he suffer? God really loves him and knows him. He says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. There is a purpose to your pain. These trials come so that your faith may be proven true and will result in glory. And so our troubles are not what they always appear. It's not as though it's the evidence of God's rejection of us. It is the seeds of your glorification. Our hardship are the seeds of our glory. Let God use them. There's a difference in that, isn't it? Instead of turning away and, and, and batting down the di- divine hand of God and saying, what are you doing in my life? We say, God, do what you need to in my life. And in the midst of it, instead of going into panic mode, just trust him. Be faithful in the midst of it. But can you do that also in the midst of the joy and the blessing? Because most people that I know, in the midst of pain, we turn to God, help. In the midst of blessing, we're like, I got this, God. Do you know that the blessings are also there to sanctify you? that God works all things together for your good? When life is good and there's wealth and there's health and things are easy, are you also turning to him? Are you letting him actually prove that your faith is real and genuine? You see, our problems and our joys are all resulting in glorification. Second Corinthians says this, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And see, my problems, your problems have a very important purpose. They're temporary. I want you to hear this because some of you are going through some really hard things right now. It will end. This is not the end of you. This is not, this is not the punctuation on, on your existence. 
that God has not abandoned you in the midst of this. He's using this, and he's making you stronger. He's going to do the miraculous in your life. These, these giants that are too big for you, these valleys that are too deep for you, these problems that are so big that you can't possibly overcome them on your own, your God has not abandoned you in the midst of them. He is overcoming them in you and through you for your glory and his as well. And guess this, these are light and momentary troubles. You're like, these are not light, nor do they seem momentary. They've lasted a while, but get this. In comparison to what's coming next, when you're going to look on the other side of it, you're going to like, oh, that was nothing compared, and I'm grateful for what I have now. Because they're achieving an eternal glory, which is a lot longer with ever how long you have to suffer in this life. It is nothing compared to what God is doing next. So be strong and take heart because we put our hope in the Lord, not in what's happening today, not in our society, not in how I'm going to fix this or make the pain go away, but my God who's doing something, he's doing something right now. Cling to that. And it far outweighs them. When you get there and you're like, well, that was miserable, but you say, thank you, Jesus, that you loved me enough that you allowed my faith to be purified in the midst of this. So what's my response to this? Second Corinthians chapter four says, so we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but on what is unseen. Right? So it's what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. And even in this, in context, Paul's talking about our troubles, the difficult stuff that we have. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, because I can see my troubles. And you know what? You always find what you're looking for, right? People come to me for, for uh, all kinds of counseling. I'm like, sometimes our counseling is because of what we're looking at. You know, it's this thing that God put into our brains for a really good reason, because he knew husbands couldn't find butter in the refrigerator, so he wanted to give us a help, and he gave us this thing called the reticular activator, which is this, this psychological thing where he does, it helps us filter out all the other information so we can see the things we're looking for. It's why, as a parent, you can find your kid's face in the midst of a huge crowd, because you're looking for it in all the other faces. You couldn't describe any of the other kids, but you can see yours, right? It's why when you're looking to buy like a yellow truck, all of a sudden there's yellow trucks everywhere. And like, where did all these come from? They were always there. You just didn't, weren't looking for them. We, we always find what we're looking for. And if you're looking for problems and you're looking for a reason to be mad at God and you're looking for pain, you're looking for a reason to hate your neighbors, you're always going to find it, right? But if you're looking for the hand of God, you're looking for his mercy, you're looking for his grace, if you don't look at what is so evident, what you can see, but you look for God's purposes and his promise and his goodness, you will see it, and it will change you. And that's why we look for what is unseen, because that's actually more real. Your, your pain right now is not forever, but your glory will be. Your difficulties will last for a while, but, but the promise of God in heaven and, and what awaits is eternal. So why don't we look at the things that are bigger? We look at the love of God and the goodness of God and the presence of God and the promise of God and the health of God and his, the sovereignty of God. May it be a shield for us. Start looking for God and you will see him. That's why each morning, this is what I do because I, I get a little depressed in the wintertime because it gets dark and windy and every, I'm a human. I start each morning for five things I'm grateful for to God. And they can't be the same thing because that's cheating. Right? And I... And I and at first, I had to really think about it. It was really hard for the first month. I'd be like, oh, what am I going to be grateful for today? But as I started looking for the hand of God in my life, I started seeing the hand of God in my life so much more. And then before I go to sleep, I have one thing that I look back in my day, and I say, God, thank you. That was an awesome thing that happened today. You know, by bookending my day, by looking for God, I see God, and I see him everywhere. And it builds my faith. And yes, I still go through really difficult things, 
but I have a different kind of courage and I have a different kind of strength to overcome them because I know my God is in them with me because I see him. So we set our eyes on Jesus. One of the best ways to do this is to establish a spiritual base. So that's an acronym. I heard this in Bible college. I stole it. I'm going to give it to you today. Spiffing a spiritual base is something every Christian really needs to do. If you don't have a good base, you tip over. And the first thing we need to do is believe in Jesus. We need to believe him as a savior, that he died for our sins. We also believe that he's sovereign, that he's still king of kings and lord of lords, right? And belief is more than just head knowledge, right? For example, I believe that Hitler existed, but I'm definitely not a Nazi. I believe in Jesus, but I'm a disciple. What's the difference? Well, belief is to trust in, to cling to, to rely on, to adhere to. That's why I'm a disciple of Jesus. I believe in him, and therefore I cling to him. I follow him. And as I believe that, and do I have doubts about Jesus sometimes? Yeah, he's bigger than my brain. I can't wrap my head around him. I don't believe in him because I got him figured out. I believe him because I, I, he's given me enough and he's revealed himself to me and through the word and he's enough that I can trust and I'm going to follow. As I believe in him, the second thing I got to do is I got to accept God's grace, right? Because just because I believe in God doesn't mean that I've received his grace. The demons believe in God, but they haven't received any type of grace and they're terrified of him. So we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But get this, we also live by God's grace through faith, right? Every day in our life, God's not giving us what we deserve. Aren't you glad for that? He's actually shaping you and crafting you, not according to what you deserve, but what he's designed for you to be. That, and he's, his plans for you are good. That your life is an expression of divine grace for, for created beings whom God has chosen to love. To receive his grace. That God won't repose his grace on you, but you can certainly accept it. You can say, God, I'm not coming to you because I deserve it. And we stop having this transactional relationship with God. I'll do these good things for you, God. And then you've got to do these nice things for me. We, we get off of that crazy Ferris wheel, right? We, we go a different way. We have a relationship with God. We say, God, you love me and, and I accept it. And I don't understand you, but I love you back. And, and even when I'm broken, that's definitely the time I'm going to come to you. When I need your help, that's definitely when I come to you. Right? Accept his grace because he loves you so deep. And he proved that by coming to earth and dying on a cross for you. But he also proved it by raising from the dead and then giving us his Holy Spirit to live within you. You have to really like somebody, really love them to spend every single day, every day, all day for eternity with them. And that's what God has chosen to do with you. So accept his grace. As we do that, we need to switch to God's authority. Right? I, I, I stop living like I'm the boss of my life because let's be sure, I am not all powerful. There are a lot of things. I, I can't even control the weather. I can't even control my cell phone. It does weird stuff all the time. But God controls everything. He is, a, he is a king of kings and lord of lords. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. He has all power. He can do anything. He's, he's, he's got the, the wisdom to know what is right. I am not all wise, but God is. So I'm going to switch to the God who actually knows what he's doing. And he's present. He knows what's going on in my life and everywhere else. So I begin to trust in Christ as my Savior and obey him as my Lord. And yeah, we start that at, at our faith as, we're, as an expression of faith. But that's something that every Christian, that we grow in that, that we continue to switch to his authority in his life. Because I think you're going to find there's many ways in our life that we're still running under our own broken operation. And God says, but I have a better way for you. And then the E is we express my faith. I have to express it. Scripture says that faith without works is dead and useless. What does that mean? That if your faith is just nothing more than an intellectual thing, it's silent, it's not doing anything for you. And Scripture says in some really important ways it, it invites us to express our faith. First is by believing, trusting in God even when we have doubts, or just trusting Him, 
right? There's that belief and there's a, there's a confession, which means that, that, yes, I say with my lips that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but also with my life. If I begin to identify as Christ's child, even when I have doubts about that, even when I know I'm not worthy because I received his grace, right? And as I believe and I confess, I also repent. That is switching to God's authority. I begin to bring my life into conformity to God's will. Do I do it perfectly and all at once? By no means, but I consistently do it over and over and over again. And, I, and, and so we confess, we repent, right, as we believe. There's also in there that says to be baptized. Fortunately, we don't have to do that every day, but we're having a baptistry today. And as we're baptized, it says that the, the sacrifice that paid for our sins now washes away our sins, right? So, so not only are they paid for, but now you're cleansed of your sins, past, present, and future, one sacrifice for all time. And your soul is clean, and, and you are forever perpetually innocent before God. Uh, that's an amazing thing. And it says you're born again. And, and when somebody's born, they're in that family. And you'll be born again as God's child into his family. That happens. And that's cleansed and is now a, a, a child of God. He fills you with his Holy Spirit. It's what it says in Acts 2. It's an amazing thing. What an amazing expression of faith. That baptism has got to be an expression of faith. If you're not, just like if you say, I believe, but you only trust God, or you, you say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but you don't speak English, you only speak French, you have no idea what Jesus said, it's not going to do anything for you. It's going to be an expression of belief, right? expression of your faith. Baptism, not an expression of your faith in God, just a weird bath in front of a bunch of people. But if you express your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you're baptized, very powerful. Now, for me, I was brought up Catholic, so they baptized me as an infant. That wasn't my faith. I went through confirmation, but that's not how it said. I was baptized later in the hot tub. This is close to it. I'm telling you, the water's great. And there's a powerful thing when I express my faith the way God tells me to. But beyond that, do you know there's another expression of faith? Discipleship. Being part of a healthy church and growing up in that faith. You weren't just born again to be an orphaned child. You're supposed to be part of a healthy family. You're supposed to grow up in that faith. That's a ex- consistent and continued expression of faith. It's part of that E. And as Christians, if we believe in God and accept his grace and switch to his authority and express our faith, right, we have a base by which we're able to withstand the storms of life. When no matter what comes, we have strength and we have courage to handle whatever tomorrow has, whatever today has for us, because we know that God has us. We're standing firmly in him. So how do you apply that? First thing, maybe your next step this week, it's on the back of your connection cards too, because I'd like to know how, what you're doing, because I pray for each week, but maybe it's by reminding yourself the word of Scripture. You memorize Psalm 31, 24, to be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord, that you are accepted God's grace by faith and accepted his sovereignty in your life, and I recognize that he's at work in your life right now. Maybe that's what you do. Maybe that passage is exactly what you need to keep you from becoming depressed and despondent and discouraged and to have the courage and the strength to be able to handle what you have today. Beyond that, maybe you need to read 1 Peter because here's a dude that knew exactly what it meant to be strong in the Lord, to put his trust in the Lord. And we see that this guy who would have been a fisherman who would have died and no one would have known his name if, if he didn't place his f- trust in Jesus. But he allowed God to do his sovereign will in Peter's life. And Peter became somebody we now name our kids after, that we, he's a, a, a pillar of faith for us, that God has done amazing things, not just justifying, but glorifying. You want to hear what it looks like for a disciple who, who started out and didn't do it perfectly, but ended up in the right place? Read First Peter. Great. Beyond that, maybe you this week, your commitment is you're going to start to look for what the unseen is. You're done letting the devil fixate your eyes on the darkness and the brokenness and the hopelessness and the, and the chaos of this world. Our God is bigger than that, and you're choosing to see God. So maybe for you, it's saying, I'm going to focus on Christ and his purposes for me this week. I'm going to pray to him. I'm going to 
say thank you to him. I'm going to start my days with praise. I'm going to end my days with praise. I'm going to be praying all day long. I'm going to focus on him. And I tell you what, when you start looking for God, you will begin to see him and things change profoundly. Maybe that's your commitment this week. You will set yourself to this. And maybe for you, it's I'm going to set my spiritual base. If you're a Christian, every Christian continues to believe. I don't have any Christian in every scripture that says you can believe once and then you can stop believing in God. We believe in God and we continue believing in God. You need to trust Him. And maybe right now you're struggling with doubt. You say, but I'm going to bring that doubt alongside me as I continue to cling to God. Maybe it, it's that you, you say in there that, that you accept God's grace. Even as a Christian, we accept it every single day because all of us are still a little bit stinky, right? We're, we're a little bit naughty. There are times that we're a little bit unworthy, but it's not how God loves you. He just loves you. And maybe that's what you're doing this week. Or, or maybe you need to switch to God's authority. You are being disobedient. Don't happen bring you to Babylon, right? Just switch his authority. Trust him. He's good. So maybe there's an area in your life you've got to repent. Maybe it's this. You guys got to express your faith. It's enough sitting on the sidelines. But to have your faith in your belief and your confession and your repentance, right? Remember your baptism. Maybe it's where you start taking your discipleship seriously and say, God, I want to grow up in the faith. But maybe for you, you're here this morning, you've, you've never become a child of God. Right? He foreknew you. Let him predestine you to be justified, to be sanctified, to be glorified. Maybe you need to set that spiritual base for the very first time today to believe that Jesus Christ is, is exactly who he said to be that he is God the Son, that he is the Savior of the world. You believe in him, you believe that you're saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That, that, that as you do that, maybe you accept his grace because he's not saving you because you deserve it. He saved you because he loves you, because he's got better purpose for you in your life. Maybe you begin to switch to his authority because really as your life, your authority doesn't run things real well. But the God who loves you knows all things and says, I've got a purpose for you. Maybe you get to switch to that and you repent. Express your faith and your belief and your confession, right? Your, 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 your repentance. And you begin that process even today. But also in baptism, boy, this is a perfect day to do it. It's kind of like it was planned or something. But there's baptism. To not just let Jesus pay for your sins, but have them be washed away, be born again. Join us in the beginning of this new life so that way your walk of discipleship can begin today. And if you need to make that confession of faith, all right, come talk with me after the service. Let me know, and we will help you begin the most amazing journey, the eternal one that leads to glory. I'd love to take that with you. All right, all of us hopefully have something that we need to commit to. Please walk with your connection cards along with your prayers. Prayers are powerful. We're going to pray for you this week. We're going to collect those, your tithes and offerings, but also your special gifts for Fifth Sunday. I encourage you to make that, and then uh, afterwards, we're going to have a fellowship meal. It's going to be fantastic. So let's pray for you as you make these commitments. Father God, we thank you that you are in control and we can trust you. We love you. Take our hearts and our lives today, Lord. Take these commitments and these offerings and all things that we have. Father, use them to build us closer to you uh, for our, our, our sanctification, Father. If there's anyone here this morning that needs to take that first step of, of salvation, that you give them the courage that your Holy Spirit would just draw them today into, from the darkness of the kingdom of light so they can receive your forgiveness and your, and, and your mercy and your love, but also the hope of new life and the promise of it as well. Father, I pray for all of us here that we would have a solid spiritual base, that in this church we would be a believing church that accepts your grace, that lives in that grace, that, that follows your authority and expresses our faith fully uh, in every area of our life, Lord, that, that we would be a, a solid church and a, a built on the rock. Lord, take our commitments today, build our faith in them this week. 
Lord, I take our offerings and our tithes. Build your kingdom for your glory. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.